The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning and welcome to America's Web Radio. And uh, we're glad to have you tuned in today. And as always, well, not always, sometimes I forget, but try not to forget... Um, you need to get your pen and paper ready because it's time for Remembering Desert Shield and Desert Storm. And I'm afraid that uh, some of our adversaries are going to, uh, unfortunately, increase. It seems like they're trying to increase what's going on over there. But with our veteran shows and our... Shows that we, we do for first responders as well. We always like to start them with a moment of silence. So this is to our veterans and those that are on active duty right now. Remember everybody that's serving and either serving overseas or serving in country. And uh, we always are thinking about our veterans and also our active duty people, as well as our first responders that do such a marvelous job of taking care of us and making sure that we're okay. And uh, we've got our host on the line, Lieutenant Colonel Philip Farsberg, and he's retired from the Army. And, uh, Phil, how are you doing today? Well, I'm very well, David. Uh, but as you know, uh, some of the uh, uh, hazards of live radio programming is uh, technical glitches, and right now I'm getting you very, very broken. Well, maybe we should pay our telephone bill. What do you think? Perhaps. I, uh, quite frankly, can't put a handle on that, of what 
You're saying it's breaking up as it's coming over to you? Yeah, it's it's uh, it's really breaking up for me. Okay, is that any better? Yes, that's better. Okay, well, we'll keep pooching it up a little bit and seeing if that makes uh, some difference. You know, uh, so far it's made a great deal of difference. Pardon me? So far it's made a great deal of difference. Well, good. Okay, uh, we can uh, boost that little sucker up a little bit more. And uh, I'm not sure why we're having to put it up that high, but if that's what it takes, that's what it takes. So, with that being said... We have a situation in the Middle East now, and uh, I can't believe Iran. And what I, I have no clue what they're trying to do other than start a major conflict. Firing on a U.S. military vessel is not the thing you should have in your program, you know? And... Uh, then firing on, they've they've been firing missile uh, missiles at our bases, and then uh, last night it was firing on one of our navy ships. And uh, what do you think about it all, Philip? Well, um, if you really want to know what I think, uh, some. Deep at the heart of this is the uh, Chinese Communist Party desiring to get us into a uh, conflict uh, with Iran, and uh, which time that'll uh, allow them to move in on Taiwan. Well, you know, we um, it's a dreadful situation with... Uh, Iran and why they would uh, yeah, I, I don't I can't even imagine why they'd think about firing on one of our vessels but uh, obviously they did and we shot down one of their drones I don't know how many other drones were fired at us or were sent to observe or whatever they were doing but uh, uh, you know if China wants us in, then I think a lot of this is due to our extremely weak administration that seems not to care or not to do anything about any circumstance, and um, which I just really, it's deplorable. And we well, have to stand up. In my personal opinion... What you have is, uh, you know, when people wonder why uh, at 80 years old that Joe Biden would run for re-election. But the reality is Joe Biden has to run for re-election for the same reason that Saddam Hussein could never retire. Um, you know, if Saddam were to try to retire, um, somebody would come to the forefront and have him killed. And what uh, Joe Biden is facing is uh, 
of jail time for bribery and uh, high crimes. And uh, so he uh, he has to keep the game up. If he, if, he try, if he turns the reins over to somebody else, he's completely at the uh, at the mercy of the, the uh, folks in, in Congress that will uh, that will see that he is prosecuted for his uh, misdeeds. So, uh, and uh, he does exactly what he's been paid to do by the Chinese Communist Party, and uh, and that's why uh, we just kind of stand here and, and let a puny power like Iran uh, molest our troops and uh, work on nukes and export uh, terrorism throughout the world. And there's very little that can be done about it uh, by this administration. So that's my personal opinion. Well, my opinion is, as it's going right now, it can lead to no good. Whatever the thinking is, it can lead to no good. And, you know, I don't want to uh, be sounding doom and gloom and the, and the horns blowing yet, but uh, we need leadership. We, we, we terribly need leadership. And um, we haven't got it in uh, the administration. We haven't got it in the president. And it doesn't take a fool to realize that we have spineless people in power right now in the U.S. And, um, you know, I'm not sure what, what we can do about it. this 
with the full knowledge and compliance of the uh, Secretary of Veterans Affairs, who uh, in a video, uh, to paraphrase, said, you know, if, if aliens come to get urgent care, I want you to push the easy button for them, but if veterans uh, try to go for community care, don't press the easy, in other words, don't right. make it easy for them to get community care. That is, that's the worst thing I've, I've seen or heard. Yeah. Um, and I can tell you that the, the VA has a system of uh, just trying to make it difficult for veterans to get what they've uh, what they've earned through their service, and uh, and it starts at the top. Um, the the folks who work at the Veterans Affairs uh, Department of Veterans Affairs, by and large, you'll find are not veterans, and um, and basically they uh, they have a sense of entitlement about their uh, about their jobs, and uh, they work. Basically, uh, at fe- what we call feather bedding, making making the jobs easy for uh, for the employees and uh, not caring about the mission. And it's it's really sad, tragic. Uh, it you know the corruption in our government. And I never thought I would say this, but corruption in our government goes extraordinarily deep. Oh, it's you know it's. Uh... It's terrible. It's every place in all branches, it seems like. And uh, it's it comes back down to uh, what we've said all along is follow the money. And uh, I don't like where the money trail is leading. No. Um, <clears throat> you know, getting back to the situation in the Middle East... Uh, isn't it interesting uh, that we are now discovering that we have troops in in numerous places that Americans had no idea uh, Adam? <laughs> they were. Yeah. Uh, now, I know that you have a family member who served uh, in the Middle East in uh, the military uh, recently, and uh, you're probably more aware than others, or if, uh, he even talks about uh, what he did. But the, the point is, we have people in Iraq still, in Syria, in places in the, the Horn of Africa. Um, you know, it's understandable that we have our uh, naval ships floating around in, in those areas. And, and, you know, God bless them and thanks. Thank God for for the United States Navy uh, in keeping the uh, shipping lanes open. But, um, yeah, we're, we're extended over there. I know uh, Biden cut and run from from Afghanistan and declared world peace, ran with his tail between his legs. Uh, but uh, we're still extended quite a bit. And, you know, these are not these are not just special operations folks, onesies and twosies. There are a lot of folks deployed all over the place. And, um, and uh, 
it's doubtful to me that they're getting the recognition or uh, or the uh, documentation of their service uh, appropriately. Uh, they should be getting hostile fire pay and they should be getting a tax break. You know, I had a wonderful tax break when I was in Desert Storm. Um, my enlisted soldiers and all of my warrant officers got 100% of their pay tax-free while we were over there. And I got the first $500 of my uh, monthly pay tax-free. And that's owing to a, uh, a law that's been on the books since uh, a general officer made about $500 a month. But, you know, for commission officers, it would just be the first $500. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I think uh, they're ripping off the officers uh, who do a great deal. Um, but, you know, what, what can I say? That's, yeah. that's what the law was. No, you're doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing, and and that's telling the public about it. And, you know, it's not just our administration. Our public has to start standing up and demanding action, whether it's in schools or in the military. We can't have a second-rate, third-rate country like Iran sending missiles over at our bases and not retaliate, not do anything, just say, oh, well, you know, they probably didn't mean to do that. You know, we've got to get a backbone in this country and get back to being the United States of America that's feared around the world that you don't mess with them. I will say that when I see um, this uh, this uh, former admiral, admiral who speaks for the uh, administration on national security affairs, um, it just turns my stomach to see how he shills for um, these scoundrels. And as you know, David, you know, we have a Secretary of the Army as a woman who's never served in uniform. And, um, you know, uh, I think her closest uh, connection to military service is that uh, her husband serves in the uh, Navy Res- Naval Reserve. Uh, it's just... Uh, and, of course, she's the one that said that all of our military vehicles were going to go electric. Yeah. Uh, I, I just can't imagine the the colossal stupidity that uh, that goes into a statement like that. It's just crazy. And we got to vote these people out. We have yeah. to vote them out. Well, we have to vote out the guy who appointed her. That's quite certain you know it's uh, it's sad that uh, they're down on recruitment Uh, I pray for my son 
day in and day out, all the time, he's serving under less than a leader. And I'm, quite frankly, because of his inexperience, his illness, and, you know, I could... I could even accept some of Biden's problems if he was surrounded by good people. But this, he has the worst administration and people in it that I've ever seen in my 76 years. And I'll discount uh, eight or ten of my first ten years that I didn't know what it was all about. But by the time I was 12 years old, I had begun to know what it was about, partly because of my parents and partly because we had good, and I underline the word good, public education. And they, we had civics. Heaven forbid we should know who the president and vice president and what their functions were and everything else. But we did. And... What we have today is just absolute garbage, waste material. And it's a, it's a sad state of affairs when somebody has to say that. And has, this is never, ever in my life that I have zero respect for the White House. But, I'm sorry, I have no respect for our president and certainly none for Kathleen Jane uh, Kamala. The only fear I have of Kamala is her becoming president in some way or the other. And the thought of that just is unimaginable. David? Yes, sir. You know, uh, Back to Desert Storm, I uh, I found a video online that uh, purports to uh, outline the, the function of the OV-1 uh, in uh, Desert Storm. Hmm. And uh, uh, it, uh, it's on YouTube, and uh, with your permission, I'd like to post it to the page for this uh, radio program. Absolutely. And uh, there are some corrections I'll make. Um, the fellow appears, or sounds as if he's British that's making the, uh, the, the narration. Uh, but, but he, uh, <clears throat> he identifies the first military intelligence battalion, second military intelligence battalion, and 224 military intelligence battalion but he leaves out the 15th military intelligence battalion which is what I served in and we we arrived there in theater uh, well ahead of any of the others um, you know the, the Mohawk has two variants that were in use at that time uh, one was the OV-1 that does a side looking airborne radar the other was an RV-1 that uh, that does uh, electronic uh, signals information uh, collection. Basically, 
it hangs out at altitude and gets painted by radars and uh, makes a database of the locations and types of all these radars. But um, the 15th uh, did not have any of the RV-1s. So the 224 um, out of Hunter Army Airfield in Savannah, they brought, I think, four RV-1 aircraft with them uh, over to uh, the desert along with uh, four pilots and a few of their uh, enlisted crew members. Uh, the <clears throat> uh, But uh, we were start, we probably, we arrived there in September and we probably started flying our first SLAR missions um, at the end of October. Uh, I know that uh, the first and second MI battalions were um, that one. The first MI battalion was in uh, Wiesbaden, Germany, and the uh, second MI was in Stuttgart, Germany. And uh, when we ferried our aircraft over from the states across the North Atlantic and to Germany on our way to Saudi Arabia, uh, our planes landed at uh, at. Uh, Stuttgart and Wiesbaden, and uh, those guys gave us all the spare report, uh, spare repair parts that we needed, and you know wished us well and sent us on our way. And then after we left, and you know got in country, they got notified. Oh yeah, you're going to go too. So they kind of wished that they hadn't given us all of their uh, repair parts. But <clears throat> the. Um, as I as I recall, the uh, the second MI was at a town called Hopper Albertine, uh, and the first MI I'm not sure where they were. But uh, uh, another thing that, that's in error on that uh, on that video is that uh, he says that you know most of the battle damage assessment was done by. Um, the photographic missions of the OV-1, and although we did have cameras on board, uh, I can only recall one mission that was flown in theater um, for photographs, and uh, that was uh, flying over the containment area. Our battalion commander wanted to give an aerial photograph of the uh, hospital that they had set up there to the, to the hospital commander. Uh, so, and that was something in the in the OV one business we we called happy snaps, mm. where we're taking pictures of something to, you know, present to somebody not for intelligence collection. Um, I know that the uh, we had a we had a photo van that was sort of like a five ton truck with a dark room on the back with all sorts of equipment in there for developing the photography if you recall back in those days you took your put film in your camera took pictures brought it to the drugstore and got it developed well, <laughs> this was this was sort of our little rolling CVS or Eckert drug or whatever to uh, develop our pictures but it, you know the, the technology was antiquated it was uh, it was Vietnam era technology and um <clears throat> It, uh, the, the, the photo van that we had 
we refer it to uh, as the Matthew Brady Mobile because <laughs> uh, after the the famous Civil War photographer because the uh, the photo quality wasn't really all that good. It was quite laborious to develop them and print uh, from the negatives. And <clears throat> so, um, but the one thing we were glad that we had brought our photo van because uh, the photo van had a great demand for water uh, for the processing of, of the film. And so uh, a complement to our photo van was a water truck that held, held several thousand gallons of water. And um, we had, for our own personal hygiene, constructed some shower stalls out of plywood. And, uh, you know, they, they, you didn't get a lot of privacy in there, but enough, uh, you know, a little door to cover you uh, while you're <clears throat> taking your shower. And, and we had these little... Um, I don't even know if they were electric or uh, what kind of. Uh, I guess I suppose they were had an electric heater, little water heater on top, so that you would get a uh, get a nice warm shower. And we used to fill the uh, the reservoirs of these water heaters with uh, with water from our uh, water truck that was supposed to be there for um, the photo van, but uh, we didn't do much photo developing so we used the water truck to fill our showers and we found out that the uh, the Patriot missile battery not far from us that was protecting King Fod Airport uh, that those guys had uh, similar uh, shower arrangement but they didn't have a water truck so we made sure that every day we went over with our water truck and filled the uh, the reservoirs of the uh, for the Patriot missile battery, so that uh, so those guys could feel fresh and alert and freshly showered as they provided the air defense cover for us. So uh, that's a little aside, but that uh, the the imagery for that uh, for that uh, uh, Mohawk YouTube. It talks about Desert Storm. Um, that's some pretty good stuff. That uh, it kind of shows uh, what was going on, and uh, we had a, a very um, very good time doing uh, doing our missions there. And uh, now, military ingenuity. Sure. Uh, what? Uh, in-country demands the ingenuity will figure out a way to fill it. And uh, I think that's been true uh, you know uh, for years that uh, you know you'll you'll have somebody maybe maybe the uh, private of the privates that comes up with an idea that works and bring something home to the troops. You just never know. But it's it's always interesting to uh, see how when there's a demand, the military can fill that demand one way or the other. And um, 
it's just something that's been happening for years and years. And, you know, it's it's like uh, certainly we want you to post uh, that YouTube. And, you know, folks, let me ask, did obviously or I would not expect uh, Iran or Iraq to have anything similar to what you were flying but I guess I have to ask the question uh, did they have anything in their arsenal that would compare with what you flew Um, you know I don't think they had any side looking airborne radar uh, and uh, they really you know they really didn't need to know uh, what our troop concentrations were because they most certainly weren't going to attack um, they might have had some early warning if they had had SLAR they'd have, they'd have seen something very very dramatic and it, it took place in a in a time frame where I don't believe they could have done anything about it. Um, the uh, uh, in December, I think it was right after Christmas, the 18th Airborne Corps headquarters that had been all the way in the east <clears throat> down by us, they were they were at Dragon City, uh, which was by the um, by the port of Tehran. And uh, they suddenly swung out with all their forces out to the west, the northwest, um, to they put their core headquarters at a place called Rafa, which uh, is different from the Rafa that you uh, that you hear about uh, today in, in Gaza. That's R A F A H. This Rafa in Saudi Arabia was R-A-F-H-A. But uh, they swung way out there, and suddenly uh, they had a lot of forces along a very large front. Uh, and if you can imagine, like a wagon wheel just sweeping clockwise from uh, from their pivot at, you know, Damam, where we were, just sweeping all the way across to the, to the north and then east. Um, it was an amazing um, amazing thing to me that, 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 that an entire corps could be that agile. Um, oh. Of course, they were 18th Airborne Corps, but they had been reinforced with a great deal of, uh, of armor support uh, that had been basically picked out of uh, uh, some of the uh, units that were not selected to go. It, it was actually a wonderful plan and executed in a way that uh, I don't think we'll never see again in my lifetime. Huh. And of course, as I've said before, it's the last time we had a true force-on-force engagement. And unfortunately for the Iraqis, they, they had bought all of the uh, uh, substandard uh, equipment and doctrine and tactics of the uh, of the Soviet Union. Just so happened that we had just finished modernizing our uh, 
our forces with all sorts of equipment that was specifically designed to uh, to take out the uh, the Soviet. So uh, they uh, they didn't fare very well, as you know. <laughs> the, uh, and as to your uh, question about what did what did Iraq or Iran have that you know it, it probably had some some fast movers like F4s or maybe the F1 Mirage or maybe some MiGs that had photo capability uh, but uh, as you will recall or maybe you know some of the listeners don't realize when that air war started every uh, Iraqi plane that was flyable in their arsenal uh, departed for and landed in Iran um, and, which is mystifying to me because Iran had uh a history of uh, warfare against Iraq that was still smoldering and uh, somehow Saddam thought that would be a great place for all his aircraft uh, I'm not sure what made him think he would ever get them back or if that was a better place for them to be than taking the chance of being blown up on the runway or in their revetments but <clears throat> uh, he made a lot of decisions that I didn't really understand uh, and his decisions, I was grateful for his decisions because they were uh, nearly 100% wrong. <laughs> well, on that note, we're going to uh, take a quick break. We'll be back with more on Remembering Desert Shield and Desert Storm. Start taking back our country from the liberal wokes by voting locally for conservative Republicans. If you want the truth about politics, medicine, weapons, classic cars, and more, you'll want to tune in to America's Web Radio. You can listen to all of your favorite shows live at www.americaswebradio.com or on demand on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. That's www.americaswebradio.com. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, join me, Roger B., every Tuesday at 1400 hours right here on America's Web Radio for the Locked and Loaded Show. We will talk about guns, weapons, ammo, gun accessories, prepping, and so much more. So be sure to join us every Tuesday at 1400 or 2 p.m. for Locked and Loaded on America's Web Radio. And I might add, we have some of, if not the most unique radio shows on the air period and uh, invite all the veterans that are listening and if you're not listening uh, hopefully a buddy will tell you about it go to our website go to our homepage on our website and take a look at what we're doing and what we're going to be doing and we're only days away from uh, getting everything up and going and I think if if you're a veteran I think you'll like what, what we've got going on there so, with that being said, let's get back to our hosts, Lieutenant Colonel Retired Philip Forsberg, and he was telling some of his stories from his tour. Well, um, David, you had asked about, you know, what kind of capabilities. Of course, the, the OB-1 Mohawk was retired somewhere around 1995 from the U.S. fleet, and, uh, uh, believe it or not, Argentina, the the Argentine army bought 
Obi-Wan Mohawks from, from the U.S., but I think they're all since retired now. Uh, but the, uh, <clears throat> the capability of, of the Mohawk Slar, you know, uh, at one point the, uh, the Air Force, uh, came out with something called J-STARS, which is a, you know, targeting and uh, reconnaissance uh, outfit that was basically uh, mounted on a Boeing 707 chassis, if you can imagine uh, that kind of Jurassic jet uh, being used for a new system. But uh, anyway, they, uh, they, they brought the J-STARS into theater uh, during uh, Desert Storm after we had developed the entire database of where all the enemy was, what times of day they moved, and what their main supply routes were. Um, they brought in J-STARS that flew about six hours a day, although the Mohawks covered the entire uh, theater 24 hours a day um, from, well, basically from November until we were told to stop sometime in March. But um, the... Uh, <clears throat> Uh, yeah, that the J Star's imagery at that point was not uh, was not adequate, and uh, at one point it showed a physical land feature uh, on the move south. Hmm. So it really needed some uh, some tweaking, and of course that J Star's I think has been scrapped by now. You know, most of what uh, they do these days uh, for intelligence and surveillance reconnaissance they'll use um, unmanned aircraft and there have been a lot of developments in unmanned aircraft and they're not without their limitations I know that um, the army continues to use the MQ-12 which is a, uh, a manned aircraft that does uh, basically real time uh, movie imagery and you know, uh, an infrared, but it's, uh, you know, you have to understand that we didn't have iPhones that, that could record everything and uh, send it around the world instantaneously. Um, that was still, that was still a very mysterious thing to have. And uh, nobody in those days, in 1990, 1991, could have envisioned having all that uh, power to collect and transmit. Uh, in the palm of your hand like that without much fidelity uh, that would uh, if you ask somebody how long that would take to develop they probably would have said a lot more than 40 years um, but you know things, things develop quickly and you know technology is built on previous technology so uh, but, the, but the Mohawk uh you know, it's it's day is over, um, and believe it or not, at, at one point uh, during the Vietnam War, early on, the A model Mohawks were uh, gunships carried 50 caliber uh, mm. machine gun pods, rocket pods, and could drop 500 pound bombs. But uh, the Air Force got apoplectic over that. Mm. Um, not that they wanted to do the mission, but that they uh, they were uh, unhappy that the army was getting any money for that kind of 
uh, technology. So they uh, protested loudly to the point where when I flew my OV-1 Mohawk in Desert Storm, I was armed with a Smith & Wesson Model 10 38 caliber revolver. Um, and, uh, yeah, that was, uh, we, uh, <clears throat> we actually brought our, these revolvers. We were told to bring everything that was on our table of organization and equipment. So we did. And of course, we weren't going to go without weapons. So, uh, at one point, our armorer brought them to higher level maintenance to get these, uh, pistols repaired. And, uh, the, the armor at the depot level that, uh, or the, the next higher level, they looked, looked at these revolvers and said, you're the only people in this theater that have these weapons. We have no parts for them. You know, um, you know in, in previous years, uh, like during Vietnam, they, they wouldn't let pilots have, uh, the 45 automatic because uh, they were concerned that um, the expended brass shell casings might get stuck in the flight controls and uh, I understand that except for the fact that uh, you know a pistol is not a very uh, long distance kind of weapon and I'm not sure why anybody would would think that a pilot would pull out his uh, his pistol and be shooting from the cockpit, uh, it, it's uh, just a complete waste of ammunition. It's really, really a self-protection weapon if you find yourself on the ground and, you know, confronted with bad guys. Um, a 38 caliber pistol, we, we, um, we used to joke that we would uh, uh, file down the, the front sight uh, so that... Uh, if we ever shot anybody with it, it, it wouldn't hurt so bad when they um, shoved it up our butts. Uh, it, would, it wouldn't kill anybody. It would just kind of hurt them. Uh, but not a very favorite weapon. We're not in favor of the 9mm uh, Beretta that they use either. I uh, prefer the old uh, 1911. But... Uh, Thankfully, I was never in a position where I had to uh, use that pistol other than on the range. It's hard to beat the 1911. That's what I had and and uh, loved it and qualified on it till the till the end. Yeah, people who who have used it are you know love it and the 1911 is uh, still in use a lot of places today was designed by a guy by the name of John Browning and uh, just a fantastic weapon and uh, John Browning a genius also uh, has developed the um, the M2 Cal 50 the 50 caliber machine gun that's been in use uh, basically since World War One until today and is used on uh, was used on numerous aircraft uh, you know like the fighters that's <coughs> fired a 50 caliber um, machine gun that was the, the uh, Browning uh, M2 caliber 50 
uh, machine gun. And uh, when I fired it at, uh, at Fort Benning, or now Fort Moore, um, my impression of it was that uh, its rate of fire was a lot slower than I had expected. Certainly a lot slower rate of fire than the, uh, than the M60, uh, which is a 7.62 millimeter NATO uh, round. Uh, but uh, but the 50 cal uh, uh, gets a lot of respect, and it's got a great deal of range. And again, though, it's hard to beat the 60. That's uh, what I was trained on, more so than I've shot the 50, but the 60 uh, can put out a lot of destruction. Yeah, the the, the M60, uh, you know, gets a gets a great deal of respect as well. Uh, I would say that um, I think today they use uh, the M249, and I believe it's uh, it's a five five six five point five six millimeter round. Um, never fired the M249. And our troops don't use M16s anymore. They use M4s, which are, if you looked at it, it would remind you a great deal of the of the uh, the M16. The uh, I had a, a friend uh, who uh, didn't understand the terminology semi-automatic because of the M4. They they had been the the M16 eight. Two, I believe they had gone to a the selector switch with safe, and then uh, semi and automatic, yeah, single shot, and then what they called semi-auto, and uh, uh, it would fire basically three round bursts. And to him, that three round burst was was semi-automatic. He didn't understand that you know, semi-automatic has always meant. Uh, it, it chambers around for each one you fire. Um, but uh, things things change. Time marches on. People like me become anachronisms. And, <laughs> you know, what they used to say, old soldiers never die. They just smell that way. <laughs> I thought it was they just fade away. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. No, I tell you what, we, uh, old soldiers never die, and unfortunately, not enough of their stories are told. And, uh, they, uh, certainly don't want any of our active duty to be called up and have to go to war, but those that have, always have interesting stories and uh, you know when I think of these protesters I think of the people that have raised their hands and served in countries we've never even heard of before and you know nobody no better love 
than to sacrifice your life for a friend. And I, the camaraderie and the, and what it means to have been in the military is just, in my opinion, awesome. And I don't think anybody should ever escape their duty to their country. And those that have been protesting, they should be given double duty. Um, whatever that means. But it just, I, I can't believe people don't realize how fortunate they are to live and have grown up in the United States, the best country in the world. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's not without its faults, but we need to uh, we need to get back to that. Uh, we, need, we need to get back to our greatness. And, uh, we need to stop all the fundamental transformation of our nation into uh, a surrogate uh, or a, 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 a tool of the Chinese communists. And they get back to uh, American greatness, and um, I'm a little bit isolationist, but uh, at the same time, I would say uh, when we send our folks somewhere, we you know we need to have our folks in enough places to know uh, when a threat is emerging, and when a threat emerges, we need to have enough uh, horsepower to do something about it. And, uh, Amen. I'm afraid we're lacking that. You know, David, I just thought of uh, something. A friend of mine uh, gave me a recording, uh, left it on my bunk there in uh, my tent. Uh, It's a guy I went through uh, military intelligence advanced course with, and uh, he was in a PSYOPs unit when we were in Desert Storm. And he did a recording... He had a cassette tape recording of uh, the voice of peace from Baghdad. And uh, if I can uh, locate that tape, uh, maybe I'll bring it to you and we can archive it. Oh, sure. A voice of peace. uh, This was something like a a Baghdad Betty or, you know, what do they call it? We called her Baghdad Betty. But uh, there was uh, uh, Tokyo Rose and uh, similar Jane Fonda thing. anyway uh, <clears throat> so uh, yeah the uh, this this thing is, it was called the voice of peace from Baghdad but you know it was on a ham radio station and our automatic direction finding needle would point straight to Kuwait City it was being broadcast from Kuwait City and uh, it's a some pretty hokey stuff on there. They tried to play sad music, and, you know. Whatever. And the reason my friend had to had to bring it to me was because uh, back in our area, containment area, they they would jam it so that it wasn't even effective on that frequency. But uh, but out on flying the missions, we it wasn't jammed out there. We could listen to it. It was a source of some great humor. That that would be interesting, and uh, you know, 
like I said early on, uh, war and people that are involved in military actions come up with some of the craziest things ever. Like you said, Tokyo Rose. Uh, you know, I don't know if it really had that much effect on any of our military or not, but I guess every country tries something, and if they think yeah, it's going to work... My dad served on a destroyer in the Pacific in World War Two, and uh, he told me that uh, Tokyo Rose had reported his ship having been sunk probably eight times. Huh. Um, <laughs> it was not sunk. It was eventually sunk, I think, after they towed it out and made a reef out of it, or, you know, a torpedo practice or something, when it was beyond its service life. Well, you know, it's, as we've mentioned before, there's nothing romantic about war and about people getting hurt and dying, and uh, it's uh, it's a very serious business, and more people should know more about it. With that being said, we have run out of time, and uh, Philip, I I'm always amazed at at the information you provide us, and. Uh, always look forward to our Monday get-togethers. And uh, we're going to be, like I said, any veteran, go to our homepage, and details are coming very shortly. Guarantee. So, with that being said, we're going to have to get out of here and thank Lieutenant Colonel Forsberg for his service. And his service now bringing the word to you all that listen to America's Web Radio and the job he does with the DAV. And it is a proud thing to be able to say that Philip is a friend. And uh, I look forward to our conversations every Monday and look forward to next Monday. Thanks, David. Me too. Have a good week. Bye-bye. Talk to you. The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.